Lesson 1 for September 29 to October 2, The Prophetic Calling of Jeremiah Sabbath afternoon, September 26 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for so many important things that you bring before us. And over the lifetime of the prophet Jeremiah, you brought to your people messages which had a major impact on the way they lived and the way they followed you. And from these messages, there are messages for us today as well. And as we open your word this week, as we look at the prophetic calling of Jeremiah, we pray that our hearts may be opened and that your Holy Spirit will guide us in our thinking. In Jesus' dear name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Let's read that again, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. We know more about the life of Jeremiah than we do about any other Old Testament prophet. The biographical facts in his book help us understand better his work as a prophet. Jeremiah had such an effect on history that, even at the time of Jesus, he was a revered prophetic figure. At the same time, the prophet's work, judged by human standards, shows only slight success. Despite decades of fervent warning and pleadings, the people, for the most part, didn't listen to the messages he gave them from the Lord. Nevertheless, despite the opposition, Jeremiah could not be bought or sold. He stood as a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall, as it says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18. Not in his own strength, but in the Lord's. Jeremiah's lot in life wasn't a happy one in many ways. His calling brought him suffering, woe, rejection, even imprisonment. Worse still was the fact that so many of these troubles came from the very ones whom he was seeking to help, seeking to point in the right direction. Thus, in his own way, Jeremiah prefigured what Jesus himself would face hundreds of years later in the same land. And I think today is probably a good day to read the introduction to the whole series. It's titled, Mi Yitan, and it's a biblical Hebrew phrase. Our writer for this quarter is Imre Tokix, who has a PhD, and he's the head of the Old Testament Department at the Adventist Theological College in Pisal in Hungary, in Europe. He is a professor of Old Testament and Jewish religious science, and has a Doctorate of Laws degree as well. He begins by saying, Biblical Hebrew, like most languages, is sprinkled with idioms, words or phrases that mean something different from what they immediately say. An example is mi yitan, that's M-I hyphen Y-I-T-T-A-N, which is composed of two Hebrew words, mi, which is the interrogative, who, and yitan, which means will give. Thus we have who will give. In the Hebrew Bible, this phrase expresses the idea of a wish or of a desire of someone wanting something badly. For instance, after their escape from Egypt, the children of Israel, facing challenges in the wilderness, exclaimed, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Exodus 16, verse 3. The phrase, if only, 
came from Miyatan. The Hebrew doesn't say, Oh, it says, Miyatan. In Job 6 verse 8, when Job exclaims, Oh, that I might have my request, that's in the New International Version translation, Oh, is from Miyatan. Another occurrence occurs this time in Deuteronomy 5.29. Going over the history of God's providences, Moses reminds the children of Israel about their request that he, Moses, talk to the Lord for them lest they die. According to Moses, the Lord, pleased with their request, then said, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would hear me and always keep my commandments. The word translated, oh, yes, it is me, Yatan. Incredible. Here is the Lord, the Creator God, the one who made space, time and matter, the one who spoke our world into existence, the one who breathed into Adam the breath of life, uttering a phrase generally associated with the weaknesses and limitations of humanity. Talk about the reality of free will. Talk about the limits of what God can do in the midst of the great controversy. This use of Miyatan reveals that even God won't trample on free will, because the moment he did, it would no longer be free. Now, if ever one book of the Old Testament revealed the reality of God's desire for humans to obey him, and the human tendency not to, it would be the book of Jeremiah, the topic of this quarter. Set against the background of great geopolitical changes in the ancient Near East, the book of Jeremiah recounts the ministry and message of the prophet as he, with passion and faithfulness, preached God's message to a people who, for the most part, didn't want to hear it. Starting with the prophet's call, the book takes us through decades of biblical history as the Lord used his youth and then old man to proclaim the basic truths that have been the foundation of the biblical message from the beginning. And of all the spiritual truths taught in the book, these words catch the essence of so much of what the Lord seeks from his people. And it comes from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. To read the book of Jeremiah, is to take a journey, a spiritual journey that goes back and forth from the lowest depths of human depravity to the heights and grandeur of the majesty of God, the Lord who, from those heights, cries out to all of us, Me Yatan, that such a heart would be in you. Sunday, September 27, The Prophets The prophets, according to their calling, were determined protectors of God's law. 
they stood on the ground of the covenant and the Ten Commandments, as we read in Jeremiah 11, verses 2 to 6. Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do according to all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and do them. Micah 3.8 gives one summary of the prophet's work, which was, as it says, to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And the concept of sin, of course, is meaningless, apart from the law, as it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Question. What was the prophet's message to the people? In what ways is that message the same to us today? First of all, we look at Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And Jeremiah 7 verses 5 to 7. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbour, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers for ever and ever. And Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23. Do I have any pleasure in all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? And we'll also have a look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. God's judgment was not inevitable, but it would come if the people did not turn from their evil ways. Change, however, is not so easy, especially when people get accustomed to doing evil. Who hasn't seen how people get used to the evil that at one time had appalled them? The message of the prophets was to let people see just how bad their evil was and what the consequences were of not turning away from it. This message, of course, wasn't the prophets. It was the Lord's. 
the prophets do not mention how God's word was revealed to them or how they heard it. At times God spoke to them directly, other times the Holy Spirit touched them in dreams or visions or perhaps through a still small voice as we read in 1 Kings 19.12. However their messages came to them, the prophets had a mission not only to transmit God's will to the common people but also, if need be, to deliver it before kings, emperors and generals. This task involved great responsibility. If they told the truth, these powerful people could kill them. But if they did not represent the truth, God's judgment could also come upon them. To be a prophet is a heavy calling, and from what we can tell from the Bible, those given that call took it seriously. We can be glad they did, for their messages have come down to us in the Bible. In that sense, their words still speak, even today. The question now, as in Jeremiah's time, is the same, will we listen? And so to finish today, what are the prophets, even after all this time, still telling us? At the core, what is their basic message to God's people? Monday, September 28, Jeremiah's Family Background Question. Read 1 Kings chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 26. What was the background that led to the exile of Abiathar to his home in Anathoth? Well, let's start in 1 Kings and chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Now, King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him. But he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and twenty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David, were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cattle by the stone at Zohelath, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah the son of Haggath has become king, and David our lord does not know it? 
Come, please, let me now give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then, while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, What is your wish? Then she said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king. And now, my lord the king, you do not know about it? He has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon your servant has not been invited. And as for you, my lord... O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today, and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, and the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest, and look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Adonijah! But he has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. 
Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen, may the Lord God of my lord the king say so too. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar the priest. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, my lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king of Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in a, uh, an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom, and moreover the king's servants have gone to bless our lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes see it. So... All the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Then Solomon said, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar. And he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. And then First Kings chapter 2 verse 12. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth. To your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. After he strengthened his throne, Solomon, in a conflict with Adonijah over succession, removed Abiathar the priest from his office and sent him into exile back to his hometown, Ananoth, believed to be about three miles or five kilometres northeast of Jerusalem. Hilkiah, Jeremiah's father, was a member of a priestly family that lived at Anathoth. Some have speculated that Jeremiah's family may have descended from Abiathar. Either way, we know from Jeremiah 1 verse 1 that the prophet had an exalted lineage. 
Thus we can see here that all through prophetic history, the Lord has called all types of people, shepherds, rabbis, fishermen, priests, to the prophetic office. As we read in Prophets and Kings, page 407, a member of the Levitical priesthood, Jeremiah, had been trained from childhood for holy service. In those happy years of preparation, he little realized that he had been ordained from birth to be a prophet unto the nations, and when the divine call came, he was overwhelmed with a sense of his unworthiness. Our Lord God, he exclaimed, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. That's Jeremiah 1, verse 5 and 6, end of quote. The priests were to be the moral and spiritual leaders of the nation. They had been given important roles that impacted most every area of the nation's spiritual life. Some had been faithful to that task. Others abused and violated it in ways that we can't imagine. As we will soon read in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet had very strong words to speak against these unfaithful priests who had proved unworthy of the responsibilities and calling that they had been entrusted with. And so to finish today, what are your spiritual responsibilities, whether at home or in the church or both or anywhere else? If a prophet were to speak to you about these responsibilities, what might he or she say? Tuesday, September 29, The Prophetic Calling of Jeremiah Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. What does this tell us about Jeremiah's calling? Beginning at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations." Just like other prophets in the Old Testament, and like Paul in the New, as we read in Galatians 1.1, Paul an epistle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and Romans 1.1, Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, Jeremiah didn't waffle in regard to who called him. He was very clear in these verses, and in fact, all through the book of Jeremiah, that what he was speaking was the word of the Lord, which had come to him. No doubt this fervent conviction is what enabled him to press on ahead despite vehement opposition and toil, suffering and trials. Jeremiah's calling happened in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, dated to be about 627 or 626 B.C., we do not know the exact year the prophet was born or the exact age he began his ministry. In his mind, though, as we will see, 
he deemed himself a child, someone too young for the task given him. Question. Reread Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. What assurance and comfort should we have gotten from those words? Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet before his birth. God set him aside from the moment of his conception for this prophetic role. The words translated, I sanctified you, in verse 5, come from a verb that means to be hallowed, to be holy, and to sanctify, among other things. It definitely has a sacred and religious connotation to it, one tied also with the sanctuary service itself. Indeed, the word for sanctuary comes from the same root word. The idea contained in it is that something or someone is set apart for a holy purpose. This is what God had planned for Jeremiah, even before his birth. These texts don't teach pre-existence or predestination. They teach instead God's foreknowledge. And so to finish today, God knows the end from the beginning. What comfort can we draw from this amid the trials that we inevitably face? Wednesday, September 30, Reluctant Prophets Despite the Lord's assurance that Jeremiah had been divinely chosen for this task, the young man was frightened and didn't feel up to it. Perhaps knowing the spiritual state of people at the time, which wasn't good, and knowing what needed to be done, Jeremiah didn't want the job. Question. Compare Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 6 with Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 and Exodus chapter 4 verses 10 to 15. What common points do all these incidents have? Jeremiah 1 verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Exodus chapter 4 verses 10 to 15. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you will say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomsoever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. None of these men, for whatever reasons, felt up to the task. 
Perhaps that was a crucial prerequisite for the job of a prophet, a sense of one's own unworthiness and inability for such a crucial and important task. A spokesman for the Creator? No wonder they all shrank from the task, at least at first. Notice Jeremiah's first response after being called. He immediately talked about his inability to speak well, as did Moses. Isaiah, too, in his response, made mention of his mouth, his lips. In all cases, they knew that whatever else their calling involved, it would involve speaking and communication. They were going to get messages from God and, as such, would be responsible for proclaiming those messages to others. Unlike today, where they could build a website or send a text message, this communication would so often have to be face-to-face. Imagine having to stand before hostile leaders or unruly people and give them sharp words of rebuke and warning. The reluctance of these soon-to-be prophets is understandable. And so to finish today, read Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. What is God's response to Jeremiah? Why should that response hold some hope and promise for us in whatever we believe we have been called by God to do? Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Thursday, October 1, The Almond Branch The prophet is God's witness. His job is to speak not for himself, but for God alone. Jeremiah wasn't called to find solutions to the problems of the nations, or to become a great personality or charismatic leader whom the people would follow. Jeremiah had the singular mission to transmit the words of God to the people and their leaders. The emphasis here is not on the human or on human potential, it is on God's sovereignty and power alone. The prophet was to point the people to the Lord, in whom alone was the solution to all their problems. It is, of course, no different for us today. Question. What was Jeremiah's first vision about? Well, let's have a look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 to 19. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north Calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. 
They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Most Bible translations translate the Hebrew expression in verse 11 as the branch of an almond tree. These translations, however, miss the Hebrew play on words here. The word translated almond tree has the same root as the verb to keep watch, which appears in verse 12, when the Lord says that he is going to keep watch over his word to fulfill it. One could argue that the central message of the entire book of Jeremiah is found in verses 11 and 12. God's word will be fulfilled. One day, everyone will see events happen just as God said they would. God wants his people to turn away from their sins. He has offered grace and forgiveness, but he does not force anyone to obey and be healed. If his people will not respond to him, his words of judgment and punishment will certainly be fulfilled as his words against Israel were fulfilled in the book of Jeremiah. As we can see too, God's words here were not just for the people. The Lord was speaking directly to Jeremiah himself, warning him to be prepared for the opposition that he would face. No matter what happened, Jeremiah could have the assurance from God that, I am with you. He would, as we will see, need it. Don't we all? And so to finish today, read Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What assurance can we find for ourselves in these words to us, living in the time that we do? Friday, October 2. Martin Luther wrote about the prophet in the introduction of his commentary to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a sad prophet who lived in a deplorable and difficult period, and what is more, his prophetic service was extremely difficult as he was struggling and fighting with a bad-tempered and stubborn people. Apparently, he did not achieve much success because he experienced how his enemies became more and more evil. They tried to kill the prophet several times. They pressed hard against him, whipped him several times. Yet, he would live to see with his own eyes how his country was devastated and his people taken into exile. Ellen White quotes in Prophets and Kings, page 408, For forty years... Jeremiah was to stand before the nations as a witness for truth and righteousness. 
In a time of unparalleled apostasy, he was to exemplify in life and character the worship of the true God, the only true God. During the terrible sieges of Jerusalem, he was to be the mouthpiece of Jehovah. He was to predict the downfall of the house of David and the destruction of the beautiful temple built by Solomon. And, when imprisoned because of his fearless utterances, he was still to speak plainly against sin in high places. Despised, hated, rejected of men, he was finally to witness the literal fulfilment of his own prophecies of impending doom, and share in the sorrow and woe that should follow the destruction of the fated city. And that brings us to our one large discussion question for this week. One of the saddest things, and yet something that should give us all today, as Seventh-day Adventists, something to think about, is the fact that God had warned Jeremiah that he would face great opposition from his own people. Read Jeremiah one seventeen to 19 again. Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar, and bronzed walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord." to deliver you. Who would be the ones fighting against him? What fearful lesson should we take away from this for ourselves? That is, what is our attitude toward the prophetic word to us, especially when we hear things that we don't like? How does the Ellen G. White quote above help express the fearful truth that the very ones who should have been revealing the true God to the world were the ones who were by reviling and attacking his spokesman, fighting against him. Also to finish, see Ecclesiastes chapter nine, sorry, chapter one and verse nine. That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Inside Story Before we begin our Inside Story this week, I'd like to send greetings to the Peruvian Union University, to the students learning English under Professor Richard. I trust that you're enjoying listening to these podcasts and that your English is actually improving. Hopefully you won't all sound like me. A Most Satisfying Career Part 1 is the title of our story this week. Harry and Alex worked as security guards in Malawi. One night, Alex told Harry that he had an idea of how they could earn some extra money. What's that? Harry asked, interested. We could use our rifles in a little side business, Alex said, lifting his gun. Rich people have more than they need, and we need more than we get. We could take a little from them so we can have enough for ourselves. Harry wasn't sure, but eventually he was convinced. The two broke into the home of a wealthy family and stole cash and everything they could carry. A few days later, they robbed more homes, but one night they were caught. Sitting in jail, Harry realized the seriousness of his crimes. 
The two men were sentenced to eight years of hard labour in separate maximum security prisons. Harry arrived at the prison determined to escape. His prison shirt was imprinted with the length of his prison term. One day, Harry bribed another prisoner to trade shirts. When he wore his new shirt with a sooner release date, he was assigned to a low-security job in the prison garden. Harry noticed that the armed guard watching them grew sleepy every afternoon. One day, when the guard was yawning, Harry dropped his hoe and ran. Other prisoners started running too. The guards caught all the prisoners except Harry, who had hidden among some large stones. When it was dark, the guards gave up their search and returned to the prison. Harry crawled out and escaped. Harry found a job. For eighteen months he worked hard and stayed out of trouble. Then, one day, when he came into the bus station, the police were waiting to take him back to prison. He now has to serve ten years. When Harry was escorted to his cell, he was surprised to find that his cellmate was Alex, his former partner in crime. "'Hey, I have an idea,' Alex said after Harry settled in. "'What's your idea?' Harry asked, and suddenly it was just like old times. The prison walls were made of mud bricks with a thick coating of cement over them. Harry and Alex decided to dig a small tunnel to the outside. It took them only three days to dig through the wall. The two waited until dark, then crawled through the hole. Everything seemed quiet, but as they scrambled up the outside wall, a guard saw them and shouted. The guards chased them, but Harry and Alex had a good head start. The two stopped a car on the road, made the driver get out and took the car. They drove to the city and sold the car for parts, but someone became suspicious and told the police. Alex escaped, but Harry was caught. This time he was sent to a small prison where he could be watched more closely. That decision changed his life. And this story is continued next week. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.